Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. My guest on today's podcast is Ron Rivers. Ron Rivers is running for New Jersey State Assembly. He is now getting into politics, but also has a background as an entrepreneur. He has run, started, and sold successful businesses. He is also a Sarah Jiu-Jitsu black belt. I need more people like him around because he's a guy that is extremely intelligent, very level-headed, has a lot of drive, a lot of ambition, and he's got a lot of really good views and goals that I had not been aware of. I really enjoyed talking to him. I can see how passionate he is, not only about jujitsu and about life, but about change and about his community and about getting into things that are going to help the world be a better place and really being proactive against solving problems. And this is just a guy that, once again, no matter what he does, he always brings his A-game Anybody that can listen to this and share it, go on his website, like his Facebook posts, share his Facebook posts, donate time, donate money, and help support the campaign. I know myself and Ron would definitely appreciate, especially if you're in the New Jersey area. So hopefully you guys like this. I had a great time talking to him and catching up with him. Great guy, great person, and I think he's going to go on to do great things for his state and eventually for our country. Ron Rivers, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for doing this, man. How are you? Uh, Andrea, well, good morning, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, an incredible experience so far with the campaign, uh, and I'm excited to hang out. It's been a while. I haven't seen you in a bit since I've been back in New York, so I'm excited to catch up. Yeah, man, for sure. Again, I appreciate you doing it, getting up early. So part of uh, what we were just touching base on is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I see a lot of parallels in life. You know, one of the things we always repeat is how you do anything is how you do everything, or my buddy says how you do the small stuff is how you do the big stuff, and most people don't get a black belt in jiu-jitsu. That takes a lot of drive and determination and getting up on the days you don't want to and showing up anyway and taking your beatings and getting better. And, you know, that translates a lot into business and you've owned a, a love to do business that was successful and now you're going into politics. So I just love talking to people that bring that same energy and that same drive and that same motivation to anything they do. And, um, you know, over the years, you've been not only a good uh, black belt, but you know, I always tell people that sometimes people can kick my butt, but they can't teach me how they did it. And you were a very great teacher too. So I like that you're getting into what you're getting into because you've always had a lot of patience and you've had a really good way with words. And I remember you took the time to watch some of the tapes of like my first MMA fight and tell me some of the things that I could help out with the guys. So you've always come from a place of service. And, and I think that's going to translate into people feeling like you're you're really giving them your time and you're really giving them your focus and you're really putting what they want first. And, and I've always appreciated about you. You were a very good coach to me and you, you always gave me your time and, and I never felt like I was bothering you. You always felt approachable and, and you're always very helpful. So I, I appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to start to see that about you as well. That's a, that's very kind words, man. That is a great way to start my morning. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, to your point, I, I do think a lot of the lessons translate. I do think it's, it's not, um, you know, it's no surprise that uh, I, I've gone from, you know, a, you know, and still, I mean, I still teach jiu-jitsu. I teach advanced martial arts now here in North Brunswick, New Jersey. I've been there for about, you know, eight years since I moved back from the academy. Uh, I've been at the same academy, and the guys are awesome, and I, I teach once a week. And obviously, you know, my focus in jiu-jitsu is different. When, when you and I were connected in New York at the Sarah Academy, that was my full-time gig. You know, that work was just a, a, a subset to, to training. Uh, I'm not 26 anymore. You know, I just turned 35. So life is different. Body is different. Uh, injuries are different. And uh, but I still love it. And and a lot of the lessons from jiu-jitsu, right? Um, they really translate over directly. The most important one uh, is the same thing I tell every white belt who joins our academy now is you know, the most important part of success is just showing up. You know, it's just being there every day. Like you said, you're not feeling so hot, go drill. You know, you're not in the mood, go drill. It's you know, there's days. Um, campaigning or running a business, you know, uh, my uh, love to grew my old for-profit business, which I recently exited, um, was a, you know, started in 2011, had some pretty significant success. And um, it was, uh, you know, just showing up a lot of days, 
It's not fun. It's not fun to get up. You know, I was up at 6.30 this morning. I've, I've been handing out flyers at our train station for the last 40 minutes before I you know, zipped home to be here with you. So uh, it doesn't, you know, it's just part of the deal. If you, if you, if you believe in what you're doing and you, in, in the case of jiu-jitsu or now in politics for me, and you love sharing it, uh, you know, it's worth it. And it's worth it to, to spread good in the world. And, and that's a worthy cause for me. Uh, that, that's what motivates me. So, you know, you, you just push through it. That's awesome. That's awesome. What are some of the things that, um, have you always been somebody that had that self-drive or did that come from something in the past? Like, I know, like when I talk to Chris Weidman, he's always saying like, you know, he, he never really gave it his all. And then one day something just clicked in the wrestling room and he was like, nobody's beating me anymore. I'm going to be the first one and the last one out. And, you know, other guys like Chuck, they just tell me they've had it their whole lives. And mm. you know, I've known you for a long time, but even just that entrepreneurial spirit to start love to brew and then to just get into big things. Like it doesn't seem like you do anything halfway or small. Has that always had you been since you were a kid? No, no, that's a good question. Um, no, when I wrestled and like, so I started wrestling when I was like 12. Um, so I had about six years wrestling before I started training jiu-jitsu. I wasn't very good uh, because I wasn't very focused on it. You know, it's just the truth. Like I just wasn't, it's like, ah, you know, I'm doing this, you know, whatever. And um, I didn't, I don't think I really found my stride, so to speak, you know, my rhythm until probably my, my early to mid twenties with jujitsu just showing up. And then that translated into my professional life. Um, but you know, it, it really was kind of, you know, in Chris's, Chris Wyman's uh, example, I think is a good example for me. It just kind of turned on one day where I was like, you know, like this truly, I am truly it. This is, you know, I am the decision maker. I am the, the, the controller of this ride. And, um, I think that any of it, you know, it all has to do with the same thing. It's just, it's just a time sense. It's just focus. It's just, you know, awareness of your time, um, you know, uh, building good habits, right? Habit, discipline. That's like the big, that's the big lesson from Jiu-Jitsu and wrestling that I, I transfer to, to life. It's just discipline, right? Like, um, yeah, I tell my team, right? We have a team of volunteers. It's growing. I think we have 50 volunteers on our list right now and at least 10 active a week. So you know, we have a lot of momentum here and, I tell the guys the same thing. It's, it's the same you know, lesson from the mats, right? You, you do a jiu-jitsu tournament, you do a wrestling match, you do an MMA fight. That event, that, that moment in time is won well before you step on the mat, right? Like that well before you step in the cage, that fight is won or lost, you know, weeks before you get in that cage, um, weeks before you step on the wrestling mat. And, and our campaign is the same way. I'm less concerned but without, with the results on June 5th as I am the daily action every single day you know, every hour, what are we doing? How are we scheduling our time? How are we maximizing our efficiency with one another? That's how you win things. That's how you do well. Uh, and that's just habit and repetition. And, and that's a life um, That's a, you know, a life lesson. You can apply to anything. Uh, and something that I learned from jiu-jitsu and wrestling, specifically I credit that with is, is um, I've said it before in the past, where, where wrestling taught me uh, just persistence because I was bad at wrestling. So I had to like really just suck it up and just be bad, you know, like, you know, to lose a lot. But jujitsu taught me mastery. Jujitsu taught me that I can be excellent at something given the right amount of focus and time. And that's a lesson that once you self-actualize at that level, uh, you can apply to anything. Because the formula is no different. The scenario is different. The lessons are different. But if you're a constant student, right, that's the best part about jujitsu, in my, in my opinion. Even now, I've been a black belt since 2011. That's 2019 now. Um, but I still learn stuff. You know, I love it. I love it because although I'm not as intense as I was and I'm not as competitive as I was, I have a whole crop of pro belts in my school who are. So they're coming in and they're heel hooking me with the craziest, like, you know, over the head, honey hole leg lock. And I'm like, I've never seen that before. The trade-off is, as a black belt, I can learn it pretty quickly, which is fun. But, uh, you know, yeah, that's, it's, you're always constantly learning. And that's just a lesson I've applied to life is to, to learn to love that and to embrace the failures and the beatings and the tap outs. That's Par for the course, you know, and that applies to any vertical approach. That was beautifully worded. I really like that. Yeah, nice, nice man. Now the so that, that same thing you said though. That's um that's to me the biggest thing that uh, which the two things that stuck out. One, what you said is not really caring as much about the result as much as the day to day. And I agree with that. With with anything with the training, at the end of the day, when you step into that cage or get on that mat or on you know election day, you're gonna know. Did you do everything that you needed to do? Mm -hmm. And as long as you did, whatever the result is, is, is. there's nothing else you could have done. And, you know, I, I feel like the, that old cliche of it's not the, the destination, it's the journey. 
really is true, but it's also as human nature, I think sometimes not easy to enjoy that while you're going through it and you're just looking at the eye and the prize and you just want the result. On the days that you don't really appreciate the journey and on the days that you're not really embracing that grind, so to speak, what are some things you do to say, just give yourself that pep talk of get out of bed anyway, even though it's 6.30 and you want to sleep, go pass out those flyers, go learn that heel hook. Like how do you keep yourself up on the down days or motivated on the lazy days that I assume everybody has, you know? Yeah, yeah. I try not to, um, I think the language is important and you mentioned the word motivation and, and motivate, right? I try to avoid that word or term. I don't think, I think motivation is fickle. And so I try not to think about it as motivation. I try to think about it more in terms of discipline. So I'm very routine. I mean, that's just, I think discipline is freedom in many respects. And that's, um, you know, I never, I've never served in the military, but that's something I learned a lot from my military brothers and sisters who I've talked to who just, you know, that's the biggest thing they take away is that, you know, in many cases, the routine is, is freedom. So it's like, whether or not I want to do it, I'm up at 6.30 anyway, right? And it's like, I'm going to walk my dog and then I'm going to drop my wife at the training station and then I'm going to go run or wrestle, you know, train, depending on the day, of, you know, the week, I usually train in the mornings, uh, Mondays and Fridays and, uh, and then Tuesdays at night. So, but like, it's just, you know, I'm doing these things in, in lockstep. After I run, I'm going to meditate for 25 minutes. Then I'm going to, you know, then it's, you know, at that point we're at 8.30. Now it's time to start working, you know, and we just kind of dive in. And it becomes less about the motivation and more about just like this is the routine. This is the habit. Um, and I think once you can codify your habits into a, a really strong routine, the motivation aspect is a lot less of a factor because it's just like, well, you we just have to do it. You know, I'm just here. I'm sitting in front of I'm here to work. It's like with, you know, campaigning is a great example. The worst part about campaigning is I spend about three to four hours a day calling people and asking them for money or, you know, <laughs> Facebooking them and asking them for money. It sucks, you know, and, and one of my big platforms uh, is, is creating radical transparency in the state of New Jersey and, and building a digital platform where you don't need to, you know, you don't need money to run for office. But until I can get elected, I need money to run for office, right? So it's, and we've had tremendous support, right? But we get... You know, we're not taking the corporate money, so it's like a lot of small donations, $100 here, 50 bucks here, 25 bucks, 5 bucks. So it's great because you have success in, in, in quantity and quality of the, the, do, the people, the donations, but it never ends. You know, I'm not getting a $100,000 check from some corporation or some union or some PAC, so it's just a constant process, but you just do it. You know, you're in front of the computer, the phone is in your hand, all right, like let's maximize this time because again, it's just that discipline. So, um, and I guess if you want to, you know, I will say this, I do think visualization is important, right? Whether that's in sports. Um, I was always big on that with jiu-jitsu and wrestling, visualizing my match, visualizing how it's going to go, um, visualizing how it's going to feel to have my hand raised, right? So now it's the same concept. I'm, I've, I've, I've lived the moment where we win the election a million times. I've also lived the moment where we lose the election a million times, right? So I'm, I've, that, the, these unknown futures are already in some way in the past. So now it's just the present of action now um, and just being present in the, in the now to create you know, the direction that I want. Um, because this is, you know, just like Jiu-Jitsu too, there is an element of randomness to it. Things happen, right? Like you can walk in that match and that, that MMA fight, you get knocked out in that first punch. You know, he throws a jab, hits you in the jaw, and you're just out. And it's like, well, wasn't expecting that. You know, like, or, and it can be the same thing every day with, with canvassing and knocking doors. And, but again, it's just so long as you're just, persistent and consistent with your routine, I think it becomes a lot easier to manage the ups and downs because it's not about the results, it's about the action, right? Like the results are not as relevant and they never are because in many cases the results can never be truly determined by you. There's a million factors that are outside of you. And, uh, so you just focus on your action and your focus and your time and so long as you're efficient with that, I think it's, it's easy to sleep at the end of the day. Outstanding words. I like that. You definitely should have a podcast. You're, you're very articulate. I like it. I like it. So now going into politics, how did you transition into that? What, what are your goals? Like give some background on, on how that started to come about and, and why you decided to get into that and really what the, what's driving you and, and, and what your campaign's about. Sure. So um, I, you know, so full disclosure, I, I'm a bit of a bookworm. I've just always loved learning and reading and, and that's something that is a big part of my life. And so political philosophy, I had been studying, um, a specific professor's name was, uh, uh, 
Roberto Aguilar Unger, who's a Harvard professor, he's from Brazil, and he's just brilliant. And then uh, technology and economics are things I've also been studying with a numerous other authors. And I actually have my full reading list online. If anyone's interested, you check it out. Uh, but anyway, I, you know, 2016 was a really monumental year for my action in terms of politics. So I know I've been interested in theory. I've been interested in just kind of the state of politics, specifically wealth inequality. I think that's how I kind of initially brought into like the getting into it was just understanding the, the real scale of wealth inequality in the U.S. and how dramatic that is. Um, and in 2017, so the biggest part about my small business that I owned was it, it gave me a lot of time. So I didn't become like an uber wealthy individual because of it. And that's okay because I didn't structure it such. It, there was for about a year, I was working like 10 hours a week and then just doing whatever I wanted, which was really researching, studying. And in 2017, I founded a nonprofit, Our Society. I decided for myself, um, I don't think the for-profit world is where I'm going to stay. It doesn't really motivate me that much. I'd rather do more service-oriented work. So uh, even if I don't win the election, I'll likely see employment at nonprofits, not for-profits, or continue my own nonprofit. But anyway, we, we built the first ever um, free election campaign platform for local candidates. That was the nonprofit's focus was uh, to remove the financial barriers associated with running for office. So for example, here in New Jersey, if you're going to run for something like your town council, it's a very local position. But in many cases, that, that race will cost you about $20,000. So it's just economically prohibitive for a significant portion of our population. And my argument is that it's 2019. That, that, only, that doesn't need to be the case. That's only the case now because it entrenches power structures. But technology can usurp that, can go above it, um, and that's what we did. So we built the first ever campaign platform for local candidates. We had 18 candidates on the platform, a couple hundred citizen users, and a closed beta in the state. It went really well. We also discovered that 77% of all people who ran for local office in New Jersey um, posted zero information online in 2018. So it's just, un it's just undemocratic. So it's like, I'm a big believer that central to the reason I'm running is I, I think more democracy is the solution to many of our political, economic, and social problems. But more democracy isn't just access to. It doesn't mean just like early registration and, you know, election day being a holiday. It's also agency within, understanding who you are actually voting for, understanding how they align with your values. Um, and that was one of the things our platform did was it, it built a lot of user-friendly features. Like, a, like a, a, we wrote an algorithm to, it's like a, a Likert scale algorithm. It's like a dating website. You answer questions, you can't answer questions, you get mashed over 27 categories kind of thing. Um, and that was the inspiration for making the process easy and convenient, right? And I think that's, if we're gonna build democracy, engage our generation, the millennial generation and the Gen Zs below us in democracy, we have to communicate in a way that resonates with us, which is easy, convenient, and immediate, just like all of our cell phone apps, right? It's not, um, I don't expect, you know, a 27 year old person to go to sit in a town hall meeting every month. Like, mm -hmm. I just don't think that's gonna happen. So, but if I can put it on their phone, make it customized and accessible, then I think we have a real shot at engaging people. So that was the vision behind it. Through that, I got involved with a lot of activism. Um, I, in New Jersey, I testified and lobbied for the Civic Information Bill, which was a, a, a package to essentially give money to local news sources, like a, a city paper or something like that. I believe that's very important in keeping community together. Um, we got that passed, so I was happy to be a part of that. I was a champion of the $15 minimum wage here in our state. Um, I, as a business owner, paid a $15 minimum wage before it was um, before it was legal, like before it was law. So when they found, when the Murphy administration, our governor's administration, found out about that, they asked me to come work directly with them as like a, uh, I look at a, you know, an advisor, I suppose, someone from a small business perspective who's offering, who was already paying. And, and, you know, I essentially talked to them about how the nature of work was changing. And, um, and then I was you know, the governor's guest of honor at a state of the state address. So I had that opportunity. I've canvassed for Medicare for all. Uh, often I've fought with our communities here in New Jersey. We have issues with, um, you know, they're, they're trying to put like pipelines through our state that, that won't benefit us. And it's just like, that technology is obsolete. So I've been on the ground floor with just communities protesting and speaking out against. I do a lot of, um, I'm most effective when I have a chance to speak, whether, you know, because I, you know, I have a lot of data behind me. So I'm, yeah. I'm talking with a lot of facts. So it's, it's, I find that I stand out more in those things. Um, so the political aspiration, you know, it's, it came to be not so much as like I thought I, I, I want to be a lifelong politician, but just because, you know, I, I really believe when the universe hands you opportunities, you just have to leave, you just have to go. And, and the opportunity came 
I went to a training from the Working Families Party, uh, and I was just really inspired. I did some research about our existing representatives. I realized that one of them uh, skipped 23% of his votes last year, like just didn't show up. He's just that he, he just doesn't work the position really he's absentee and his values don't really align with the shifting demographics that we have here. Um, so it's something I want to do full time. And um, so that's how I got into it. Your second question, I know I'm going quite some little time, but your second question was like, what are we, we thinking about? We're running a very progressive platform. And I mean, uh, so nothing, no one is running a platform like us in the rest of the state um, and, and really probably in the nation. We're, we're talking about some real systemic reform. My argument is essentially that um, we know for a fact that technology is expanding exponentially, um, information technology. And what that means is processing power is doubling every 10 months. And within that same time period, the cost and the size of the chips are getting half, they're getting cut in half. Um, so that's putting us, if we can imagine a bell curve or the, the example I like to give is if we're on a roller coaster, you imagine looking up and you see the, the track and it's so high and it's, it's the clouds are covering, you can't even see the top of it. And we're about to get rocketed up, right? We're at like, the, but we're at that point where we're just looking up right now. Um, and this is a, this is not an if, this is a when. This is a mathematical observation that's been observed over 100 years. A guy named Ray Kurzweil, he's a Google engineer right now. He's got like 20 patents to his name. He's really brilliant. He's written a number of books on it. Um, the Singularity is Near and the Age of Spiritual Machines, specifically that I'm pulling reference from. Um, so this is this is happening, right? And it's impacting all these verticals. So my argument is essentially this could be the best thing that's ever happened to humanity. If we structure society in a way that we allow it to benefit the maximum amount of people and maximize the potential of every individual. The alternative is if this transformation occurs under the present version of capitalism. So I want to be clear there when I'm not like a socialist. This is, it's just the present version of our laws of property and contract will dramatically funnel wealth to the top. So what could be the best thing that ever happened to all of us will end up being economic crisis after economic crisis as multiple industries begin to be automated through you know, automation and, and artificial intelligence, uh, which will create, mat, you know, will really exacerbate the wealth inequality even farther. So I'm running on a platform of, it's time to be proactive. It's time to just begin to restructure some of the most sacred arrangements in society to build a, a place where we can have, we shift the value of humanity to maximizing the potential of every individual instead of maximizing the profits of the select few who are funneling money into our elections. Uh, and I would say central to my reason, that's why I've decided to run. I love that. And I, you hit so many interesting pieces on there. Um, I, I don't even know which ones to touch on first, but the, one of the big things is the technology aspect of it, I think for, uh, on, a, on a twofold question for what you talked about is very interesting because I agree that what you're doing is so different than the way politics have gone and touching on artificial intelligence on the real estate side. I'm always telling the yeah. stuff that I grow with that even if you've done something successfully for, for the last five, 10, 15 years, technology is going to change our industry more than the next three to five than it has in the last 10 to 20. And if yes. you're not changing with it, you're literally going to become blockbuster video. You're going to become Toys R Us. You're going to be a dinosaur. And I see things like, I can't imagine how drastically different it'll be 10 years from now on the political side, but even things like podcasts that you have, I'm watching a guy that's a, a drug dealer and then a Bigfoot hunter on Joe Rogan. And then the next day he's got a politician on that is giving views on things that I would have never been exposed to, have never heard. And I really feel like there's more exposure and more transparency for the people that are going to make the changes than ever with things like Instagram and Facebook and podcasts. And, you know, I think that that's going to make a big difference. And you had said something like the guy that was in the position before, basically that were a bunch of them. There was no information on them prior. And mm -hmm. I think that if we're going to hire people like you and elect people like you to be representing us as people, we want to understand, are they people like us? What's really going on with them? Who are they? Cause we want people we relate to, not somebody that, you know, the, the whole like celebrities, people like celebrities now that are not behind a red curtain, they like the one that's, they see what they're having for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and seeing that this person's just like me. How are you seeing that yeah. affecting not only the way that you are campaigning, but the way that you're reaching people or just the political spectrum as a whole with social media and technology and transparency and podcasting and, you know, versus what was going on even, even two or three elections ago? Yeah, I mean, that's a really great question. Nick. Um, the, so I think the, the gold standard for social media and politics is uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, she's just changed the game. 
uh, tremendously. She is, uh, she's, I think, one of the most, if not the, the most, uh, most followed politicians. She's, um, she's you know, whether or not you agree with her views, her ability to use social media to connect is, is, is phenomenal. And I'll be honest, I'm a novice of it. Um, I, am, I just got Instagram for the campaign. I'm not, like, I like social media, but I also find it very addicting. So it's like I have this love-hate relationship with it. I try not to, you know, I have to do it. And I've had to do it for the last, between the for-profit business, the nonprofit, and now this campaign. I've had to be on it for like eight years. But I could, you know, full disclosure, I could easily be someone who like deletes all their accounts. Like, no problem. I, I don't necessarily know that it's good for the soul to be on social media all the time. Uh, with that said, a lot of our campaign is on social media. And I think what's nice about social media and what we've learned from the AOC campaign and what we're doing as well is social media does act as, to some extent as an equalizer. So what do I mean? My, my opponents have, are, are going to raise, if, we, if history is any determination, okay, even on the races where they had no opponents, they're raising a quarter of a million dollars. Um, you know, we're trying to hit $25,000 for our campaign, right? So we have a lot of donations, a lot of small, but they're, again, they're small donations. So it takes a lot to get up. You have 10 $100 donations, that's still only a thousand bucks, right? So you really need to scale that up. Um, but social media allows us to reach many more people. So our, we are running a sophisticated social media and advertising campaign compared to our opponents, especially online, but we're also doing interactions. So one thing I do every day is part of my campaign um, and this is not every candidate does this, but I believe in this, is I canvass personally every day. So like seven days a week, I am knocking on doors. Even if it's for, even if I have a packed day, I make an hour just go knock on, you know, 30 doors or something like that, just to make sure that I am personally talking to people uh, there. So I'm doing a daily selfie canvassing, right? We did a live stream Q&A that's got over 2,000 views right now that I, I'm really happy with. And I, you know, what I'm, I love it because it really was, it was just live, it was questions and answers, and I, I'm really, I think it really did a great job of uh, encapsulating our message into a you know, digestible format of, of why I'm really different than my opponents, which I think it, it did well. Um, so it's a lot of digital media, digital media advertising. Um, we've had multiple strategies. We're doing like a slow bleed strategy with our core video, and then we pump up events and stuff like that. So um, th that's a key part of it, becoming a personality. Uh, I don't know that you know I'm the best social media personality, but... Uh, and that's okay, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to be that, but I'm doing my part to let people know that I'm active, that we're doing stuff, that we're having fun in the process. I mean, that's just it. Um, and, and connecting with people. So it really does, you know, it really has changed a lot of things. However, you know, even social media, you know, you say, we say it's, the, it's an equalizer, but it's not a great equalizer because they can dump $100,000 in ads, right? And I can't do that. So it's like they have the, the reach even through the social media platforms that like, you know, we can do it virally, we can do it um, you know, organically. And thankfully, our you know, New Jersey 17, the district I'm running in, is comprised of five towns, uh, Franklin, Piscataway, New Brunswick, North Brunswick, and, and Milltown. It's a relatively small area. Like I can drive 30, uh, 25 minutes and be at any point in that, that radius. Um, so it's not that bad, but if this was, for example, a congressional race, well, then that money really comes into play even more so because that, you know, I just won't have the time to reach everyone, for example, in the state where the, that, that could go. So um, it does add some advantages. It, it is critical uh, to our mission. It is critical to let people know that, you know, volunteers just like you and I are out here. You know, like I, we have a ton of volunteers. New vo we've had new volunteers every single week for the last month and a half. Uh, and that trend shows no sign of slowing because people understand we're doing something different. And people understand that, like, I'm not trying to be like this you know, deal-making, backroom, cigar-smoking politician. Like, I have no interest in that, right? I'm in there to, to make genuine change. And uh, on the instance where no one wants to cooperate me, then I raise the story, you know, then we make a big deal. But either way, I'm here to serve the people. I have no, I'm not taking any corporate money. There's no, you know, attachments or ownership upon me. Uh, and, and we're doing this, you know, I, I said when we started, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it the right way, uh, with integrity and with purpose, so that when we win, we, we have a, you know, we're not beholden to anyone except our voters, and we can really start to change things, which would be very dramatically different than the uh, elected officials we have now. That's outstanding. I love that. I love that. Now, on that side of it, what's the, what's the, the 3, 5, 10, 15 year plan for you as far as, you know, yeah. staying where you're at, New Jersey, you know, am I going to one day look back and say, hey, Ron's running for president, look back <laughs> at my podcast, you know, what's the, what are your political aspirations? 
Uh, you know, I don't really have a tremendous amount of political aspirations. I don't, I don't know if that's the right answer, but it's just I'm, I'm focused on doing the task at hand, I'm running for a two-year position. Uh, so I have two-year aspirations. Um, but in terms of a career, I'm not so concerned about that. I'm the kind of person where, um, you know, I'm, I'm entrepreneurial-minded. Uh, being static in a position, um, I don't think, given the changing nature of society and the world and technology and work, that, that having a 20-year plan is as relevant anymore as it used to be. If that makes sense. Even with business models, I don't um, like when I found my non. When I founded our Love to Brew in, in 2011, I had like a it was like an 80 page business plan. Um, my nonprofit had like a four page business plan. It's just it's just the changing times. Things change, you know. And I, I think the nature of change is too much. Where any 20 year prediction is frankly probably unrealistic and and not a best use of my time. Um, for the state, I think there there's a lot of work to be done, and I could see myself if, if the people wanted being a servant for quite some time because. Um, we could, you know, for example, I want to build a, a network to green energy infrastructure in New Jersey. That's like a 20 year project that's going to require a lot of work. Uh, but when, when accomplished, New Jersey will be one of the first states, if not the first state to have a, a near zero marginal cost society. Like energy will be nearly free. Uh, and that's going to radically, radically shift everything. I mean, economics, interpersonal relationships. And, and this is not like Star Trek utopia. This is being done already. There's a town in Germany that lives on a you know, 120,000 homes. Um, have uh, a networked free energy infrastructure and the entire community has free energy. You know, so, uh, and they use batteries to disseminate the extra. So essentially, I mean, there's a lot here in New Jersey. Um, I wouldn't rule out, you know, uh, larger national aspirations because there's things that we need to do at the national level that, that can't be done at the state level. So one thing, I'll give you a specific policy example that I'm very passionate about um, is I think we need to decouple education from municipality taxes. So what that means is Every, in the vast majority of places in the United States, school funding is tied to the, the town, right? So uh, I use New Jersey as an example. New Jersey has the, the number two school system in the nation. We are, uh, we have incredible schools here because it's very densely populated and it's very small, kind of like Long Island, except New Jersey's higher, right? Like our building zones, we have much more high rises than you guys do. We're not uh, comparatively. And so when you have that many people in a small area, you get a lot of money but logistically, it's, it's a, you know, a geographic footprint, footprint of like a four-hour trip top to bottom. You know, so you can do a lot with that. Um, but, but even within our state, there's disparities, right? So we have very wealthy areas that have excellent schools, and we have in very impoverished areas with not excellent schools. Um, but then, you know, beyond New Jersey, I think of places like rural Kentucky or rural Tennessee, these are places that the students are being taught with like 40 year old textbooks. They don't have access to like iPads and iPhones and, and stuff like that. They don't have access to, um, some of them are teaching religion in the schools, which I'm not against your personal beliefs. And I say you as a general statement, but I, you know, the constitution clearly states of separation of church and state. We should not have religion being taught in publicly funded schools. I don't believe that's acceptable. That's a violation of our core constitutional principles. And um, it, it, it conflates social issues with moral issues, which I think is, is a blanket that is, it should not be part of a public education institution. Um, but it creates generational disparities, right? And I think this is the big thing. Like if we look at the Trump phenomenon now, why do we have a class of voters that is so consistently voting against their best interests? And it's a fact, Trump's policies have not been good for the working poor, okay? They just haven't. Like his tariffs have hurt our farmers tremendously, right? And the only reason the farmers aren't out of business is because he put tax bailouts where our tax money is going to support them because of his tariffs, which has lost them, for example, soybeans. China stopped buying soybeans from our farmers. They used to be the biggest buyer, now they're not buying any, right? So, and we're subsidizing that with our tax dollars so these farmers don't starve, which I, that's fine, but like these policies have consistently hurt. So, so why is it that, you know, when I saw Trump run and I saw his campaign, I'm like, this. This guy's a fraud. This guy is, you know, without a doubt going to transfer wealth to the wealthy. Like he is without a doubt going to do policies that, uh, just as he has done, right? Trump is, he has systematically transferred wealth from the taxpayer and the middle class to our wealthiest individuals. But why? Why, right? Well, I'm not surprised when, you know, I grew up in a very diverse, well-funded education system. Um, and not everyone has had that opportunity, right? Like not everyone has had that same access to that, that information and that, those resources. So we need to break education away from just being funded by local towns and make it a more federally funded program. So every individual has access to the best quality education, the best resources. I mean, if we think about this large scale, right? I mentioned 
my objective is to maximize human potential. That's how I believe we need to structure society given the change. Well, that means making sure that every individual has access to the best resources, the best knowledge. We want everyone to be at the highest floor possible, not have these disparate floors, which is what we have now. You leave New Jersey public education versus a rural you know, Midwestern education, you're leaving with two totally different skill sets, two totally different skill sets, right? Um, and that matters. And, and that really does. So, so these are the kind of things that need to be done at the national level to help move us forward. Because education, in my opinion, is the cornerstone of a successful society. So you know, we need more educated people, especially given the nature of the changing of work. Um, you know, you, we mentioned automation, and I think, so it's my vision, and um, this is it's my vision, but it's being taken from Professor Unger, is essentially that any job that can be automated should be automated. I, I don't think a human should have to do any job a machine can do. Uh, because we're best suited, the things that machines will never be able to do is creativity, right? Like a machine can never be as present as you or I am. There's no mathematical formula that determines the present because the present is ever moving. And, and the present always presents new challenges and our imagination as human beings is our greatest strength. Historically, it's always been our greatest strength. That's what moves us forward. So the, the, the question then becomes, how do we maximize every individual's potential to innovate and imagine in their own direction? So following things they want to follow, whether that be podcasting or jujitsu or small business ownership or politics, whatever that case may be, we want to make sure that we're giving potentials to the individual to have that opportunity. I've been very lucky. I've been very fortunate on a number of things, right? I won the birth lottery of being born a white male on a coastal city with middle-class parents with access to good education and love and support. I mean, that's a pretty good roll of the dice comparatively, you know? So given that I have these advantages, I feel an obligation to spread these advantages systemically through laws and in helping out people and activism, things like that. So, um, you know, that's a long answer to your short question about my ambitions. And the short answer is I, you know, I'm focused on the next two years. I think there's large things we need to do at the national level. Um, but you know, that it does begin foundationally, which is why I'm running for local office and not, not a, a higher level, because I think it needs to happen at the state level first. I think that's good info, man, and I, and I agree. I think that that's very wise words to say to focus on, you know, two-year plans now versus twenty-year plans. Because, like we just said, everything with just technology overall, it's really smart. I didn't think about it like that. And the uh, the habit side of that, I think, is important too. All the things you're saying, but what do you are you getting frustrated at all with? Like even a lot of the things you just said. I don't think most people are aware of or know the ins and outs of how things work and where the funding goes and the sourcing of funds and just the, the, the ins and outs of, of what that can cause if not handled the wrong way. And I see a lot of people, especially on, unfortunately, social media that have extremely strong opinions on politics. I'm not an expert at all on politics, so I'm not the person that can call out but I see so many conflicting opinions that I know that all of them can't be right. Some of the people on there that are harping and screaming from the rooftops about what type of policy should be different, who's a crook, who's a liar, who should be in jail. Some of them are right, but I'm sure a lot of them are wrong and not working off of any type of facts at all. They're repeating things they heard on somebody else's rant or on somebody else's show. How are you seeing the current social climate with all these opinions and how do you how do you get through sorting all of that or handling that? Or are you getting any of that of people now when you say things like separation of church and state or you're going into national funding versus state funding and which is more important? Are you getting any type of those hardcore diehard reactions of people coming at you with their opinions that may be right or may be wrong? And, and how, do you, how do you combat that? How do you address that? How do you stop from getting emotional about that? Because I can see you're obviously very passionate about all of it, which could create a passionate reaction back, which is not always the best thing, which, you know, full circle is why I love the fact that you're doing this with a jujitsu and a wrestling background. Because what I've told a lot of people is even the, the crappiest boxer in the room, I love the fact that when they get hit, they're in a place that they won't panic and fire back. They'll stop, take a breath. Or a jujitsu guy that's in a bad situation, you're not going to tap out and freak out and do some crazy sloppy risky reaction, you're going to think about what you're doing and stay calm in that situation and have a rational, logical response, which I think is, is absolutely what's needed in somebody in a leadership role like you're going into. Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I love that analogy because I think, like, talk about much martial arts in jiu-jitsu, right? 
the guys getting to bar fights aren't the jiu-jitsu black belts, right? They're the guys who've never trained a day in their life. Like, so it's the same thing. Like, if your question is how do I not get frustrated, it's because, you know, it's, you know it's going to take time. Uh, and I am very passionate, but I'm passionate because I believe in the vision of the good, right? And I think that we, we as a collective have a shared vision of the good. I do believe that many people are, are more aligned and more, we have more in common than we know. But because of the polarization of social media, the polarization of our president, the polarization of the message, you know, emotion ties deeply into it. Um, how I typically, you know, deal with those scenarios, and I, you know, it's interesting because I, I, you know, in my canvassing, um, you, so when you canvass as a politician, you really, you do hyper-targeting. I have a great team. We have a great campaign manager. We have a, a very strong team of volunteers. So we're doing very specific targeting. So I'm in a Democratic primary, so I'm actually only knocking on Democratic doors, people who vote in the primary. Like I'm, I'm, I'm knocking on like the lowest hanging fruit, if that makes sense, people who, who care. But even then, you get some really interesting reactions. Um, but our campaign is in many ways, many respects, apolitical. And, and what do I mean by about that? Um, it, being a progressive, right, when I, I label myself as a progressive, right, progressive reform Democrat, but really just a progressive. And what that means to me is it's a way of thinking about change. It's not so much a political affiliation. I have presented from a matter of fact point of like, look, I'm saying this thing because this study says this, this study says this, this study says this, here are the sources, right? So here are the academic journals, here are the papers that are saying this. Uh, I think I do a pretty good job of, of research and writing and, and vetting my sources. So that's how I kind of approach it. And, and if someone is gonna say all that, they're gonna say one of two things. I'm gonna say, okay, like, let me check that out, which some people have, there's some great, um, I have some very conservative friends who don't agree with my political perspective, but I know them through jujitsu. And what I love about those guys is they're the first people to be like, okay, let me read this over and I'll get back to you. Like, let me check this out. Like, cause they know, right. From, from training that you don't know everything. Right? And it's like, you don't, you know, you can always get better, but certain people of course are going to be entrenched in their beliefs. Um, and I think that's going to be a longer healing process. I think that's going to take some time. You, you know, it's, that I think is a very, um, you know, environmental kind of thing that's kind of been imbued in them. If you say to someone, um, you know, I'll give you a great example. We know for a fact it's, it's and this is, the, the, the data is from like federal and state records. So it's not like being manipulated anyway. It's just the raw data that when it comes to marijuana arrests, we know that pretty much every race, but specifically comparing black and white people together, black and white people smoke marijuana at roughly the same amounts roughly the same amounts, and even like they're pulled over for it at roughly the same amounts. The difference is that historically, black people have had prosecution rates up to three times higher than white people. So you're getting caught for that same eighth in your car that you just picked up. You're getting caught on the ride home, right? You're getting caught with it, the, you know, but the difference is me in my corduroy sweater, my button down collared shirt, I'm like officer, you know, like, I know this looks bad, blah, blah, blah. You know, I might get off with a, a violation or something like that. I'm not, it's unlikely that I'm gonna get dragged out of that car, put on my stomach, knee in my back, handcuffs, throw in the cop car, right? There's a different pathway for these things. Uh, and this is not a reflection on any individual officer. I'm very much a fan of the police. I know we know a ton of officers and law enforcement through training who are all some of the most intelligent, mindful individuals I've ever met. I love them. But just like anything else, there's bad actors in every vertical, right? And, but the fact is, um, you, that's a statistical thing that we know to be true, right? So if that's the case, if there is, if we do know that for the same crime with the same usage rate, there is a section of our population that is distinctly different based on physical appearance, and they are getting arrested three times as more, there might be some, some reason to suspect there's a correlation there, right? Just if you would for any data, you know, if that's the different variable, then that makes sense. Um, not everyone you know, believes that. You know, people will deny it to me left and right. No, you haven't been to a cop bar. Well, listen, I'm not saying you did it. You was a person of the one who is, you know, uh, you're making the, the racist decisions to do that. I'm saying that just statistically across the board, this is true. And it doesn't, it doesn't make me think less of any individual law officer. It doesn't make me think of less of any individual person. Uh, it just says, look, we need to be a society that embraces truth and embraces change. If the data is saying that this is an issue, then let's embrace it. Let's, let's, let's work towards a solution. What is denying it to besides push us farther away from a solution and push us farther away into isolation from one another?
because you know, the black community knows that they're being policed you know, at a disproportionate rate. They, they understand the data, right? There's the New Jersey Institute for Social Justice has did a great report on racism in, in New Jersey. And it, the data is pretty staggering. You know, when it comes to education, when it comes to arrests, there's stark differences in our communities of color here in New Jersey than there are in our communities of you know, just majority white people, for example. Um, again, it doesn't, it doesn't make any individual person bad, but we as a society need to say, okay, like we, we approach everything else we do from data. We approach business from data. We impro approach um, you know, science from data. We approach uh, you know, um, even you know, dating from data, right? You, I met my wife on OkCupid. It was an algorithm that matched us, right? That was eight years ago. So uh, you know, that was, this is how we live in society. So why not be open to the fact that, look, changes need to be made. We have a lot of, the problem I think is the central structure around society was built in a time of very different morals and values and consciousness. And those things evolve over time, just like everything else in the world, right? The universe has history. In the Big Bang, at that point in time, the very basic laws of nature were different than they are now. They change, they evolve. That means that from my perspective, and, and um, I'm reading a great book called The Singular Universe and the History of Time by Professor Unger and uh, a physicist named Lee Smolkin. Essentially, their argument is that if the universe has history, that means it is very feasible and physics is demonstrating it to be true that everything will evolve, including our most basic understanding of nature, for example, like laws of gravity. Those could change over time because they have historically changed over time. So anyway, I'm getting a little off tangent, but the point being is I, I think that we need to embrace a society of change. I think resisting change is the most sure path to crisis because that change is inevitable. Uh, and it's going, and the pace of change is going to quicken. So when it comes to things like how do you deal with people, I give them the data. If they don't, if they choose to ignore, I just say, you know what, we can reconvene at another time. You know, at this moment, I'm trying to win an election. So you know, if you're just going to refuse to deal with me, I can't. There's nothing I can do, right? Like if if you don't, if I say, hey, look, listen, I respect your opinion, but here's the data that I'm making my argument for. Can you provide sources of your own? That's always met with silence, right? And then, okay, that's usually how the argument is. But yeah, that, that would be how I would say, it. I, you know, it, it is important and not everyone has the time to, um, to your point, not everyone has the time to really know this stuff. But I think that's another thing. I don't, again, I don't take it personally when people have different perspectives than I do. Uh, I've been fortunate enough with a lot of time. So I've researched a lot of it. I've read a lot about it, but um, not everyone has. So one of the proposals I want to do in New Jersey is making sure that we have an online information platform for candidates. So people have easy access to this information. So it's not so much hearsay. It is, it is more accessible. I think that's awesome. And I'm doing a, a development deal in one of the Chicago suburbs. Hmm. And we have to go through the city for approvals for all the different steps along the way, which is something that's new to me because I've never, you know, I've fixed houses that are already there. I've never bought raw land and tried to build. And what I'm learning is different cities and different municipalities, some of them are easy to deal with and some of them are not. And it completely changes whether or not you even want to go through that process with them. And the, the specific city I'm dealing with, I started doing some research because I was getting nervous about the meetings and they record every one and they have a YouTube channel. And I was yeah. able to jump on there and watch all the meetings for the last few years and really see what they want in that city, how they react, how those meetings go, some of the projects and things that are going on that I didn't even know were happening in the background which are gonna give more credibility and more light and a lot more connectors to give more value to the project that I'm doing, which I think is huge because I would have never even thought that a small village like that would have those things, but I would have never gone and looked up those notes or gone to the, you know what I mean? But being able to log on to a YouTube channel and even just watch those once a day for a week, I think is huge for what's going on in people's own backyards that they don't even know. So I think the fact that you're doing that is outstanding and I, and I do think education is key. And, there's always going to be those people that want to bury their head in the sand. And I love what you said about some of the people that have conflicting opinions. When you bring them their opinion, they'll step back and say, well, let me look at your facts and then I'll come back to you with my facts. And maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but we'll revisit yeah. this discussion, which I think that level head and that awareness, as much as there's so much ridiculous on social media and so many opinions, I think that it will eventually level out to more like that of people that want to take the time to learn from things like those videos that you're putting out and the campaigns that you're doing and the face-to-face -face will hopefully change the perspective of people being more open to listen to facts from people that are going to give 
logical rebuttals instead of emotional responses, which is where I think you're going to get a lot more out of that. And even the stuff that you're doing with the personal face-to-face stuff, I don't think that that can be replaced with any social media because I don't care what anybody's posting. If you knock on my door and you and I have coffee and I see who you are and I feel your energy and I can see how approachable and how open and honest you are, you can't fake that. And people are going to relate to that. It's you know the same way I hear people that tell me, oh yeah, Matt, Sarah, I saw him on TV, what a jerk. And it's like, well, you've never met him because any single person that's ever had any interaction with him immediately falls in love with him because you can feel who he is and that he doesn't have a bad bone in his body unless you're bringing some type of harm or negativity to him or his family. But, you know, so I like the stuff that you're doing. And I think that the exact principles of you doing the face-to-face and being solution-based instead of problem-based, where a lot of people work off of fear, you seem to be working off of change and solution and progress. I think is exactly what the world needs more of. So I think it's awesome that you're doing that, man. And uh, I would be happy to help support you anyway. And um, what are some things that you can tell people that might see this that don't really know? Why should they vote for you? How can they vote for you? How can they find out more about what you're doing? How can they support your cause? How can they campaign for you? Like what, what's, the, what's the best way for them to help jump on board and find out more about you or help you by your side or in your corner? Right on. I appreciate that. Um, I, I do want to take a quick aside. You mentioned Matt, Sarah. So I have to just say, uh, there's a great opportunity to do the Jiu-Jitsu podcast. You know, Matt and Nick, his brother Nick, um, were, were really big influences in my life and very kind to me. Uh, they were very, very kind. I think the biggest thing you know, in my life that I've been fortunate with is I've had a ton of people just be super kind and give me crazy opportunities that I had really like no, no deserving reason to get, but I've had them, right? So um, Matt and Nick took me under their wings when I was super poor in college, let me like, you know, wash the mats and, and train for free and uh, be there. And I mean, you know, I, I can't imagine I'd be in the position I am now if it wasn't for my journey through jiu-jitsu and, and that kind of mastery. And I mean, they were just so kind, so kind. And really, I couldn't be here without, without their support. So yeah, anyone who says Matt to Derek doesn't, not only doesn't even know him, but I mean, it's, they don't understand the depth of his kindness and selflessness and just dedication to the school and the mission. Um, and really the whole family there, you know, being in Long Island and training at the academy was a, a paramount experience in my life. Um, and really, you know, I had to move on. I had to move out of Long Island. That wasn't where I was going to be for the rest of my life. Um, and I miss everyone. But it was really foundational. Like, I couldn't be here. I couldn't have had successful businesses. I couldn't have found a nonprofit. I mean, jiu-jitsu is so foundational in that. Um, so if you guys are listening, you don't train jiu-jitsu, train jiu-jitsu. And if you're in New York, train the Sarah Academy. And, uh, you know, I haven't been there when I've been there, but my brother actually started training there. He's been there about four years now. His complete life has changed. His, his oh, has he? Oh, right on, dude. He's gotten married. He's probably close to being a purple belt. He's got new friends. He's got an optimistic outlook. Like, it's literally changed everything. And um, I, I agree back to what you said. The, the things that I'm able to do and push through and the opportunities that I'm able to find and just who I am as a person, I don't think I would be without Matt Serra, Ray Longo, and you and all the guys that helped me along the way from a white belt up to where I am. That's yeah. a very special place and a very special environment at Sarah Jiu-Jitsu that I've trained all over the country. And, you know, I feel extremely lucky to be a part of that and be able to call guys like Matt Serra that are my heroes that are now my friends. And, you know, just knowing people like that, that really breed loyalty and hard work. And that guy just has your back, man. You know what I mean? If you're a good person, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's really a once in a lifetime type of person that, you know, I know Matt calls it like the land of misfit toys, but uh, I agree with you completely, man. Like, a guy like that and an environment like that and a group of friends and training partners like that literally will change your entire life. So anybody that can go train there, 100% should go train there. Yeah, and if you can't go train there, go find somewhere else to train. Uh, there's, you know, find a new family because training is good. Uh, you know, and, and training is, uh, I mean, even the guys here at my advanced martial arts academy, he's like my second family now in New Jersey. I love them. Um, a good group of guys have gotten very good and a uh, great instructor brian katz so it's a uh, it's cool i i love jiu-jitsu jiu-jitsu is a lifestyle you know and it's like even if i'm you know not i could pee anymore to train there and, and just get you know just get some rolls in it's good for the soul um in terms of in terms of getting involved you know so our our website is uh, rivers 2019.com that's r-i-v-e-r-s 2019 so if you're interested in kind of learning more about our, you know, our platform, our policy, that's there. We, you can check it out. 
Um, we have the most extensive issue platform of any candidate running for any position in the state of New Jersey, uh, hands down. So in, uh, some of them have essays, so just be prepared if you're into this stuff. <laughs> I've written a lot about what we can do. Um, you know, if you're in New Jersey and you believe in a, a more progressive vision that doesn't, you know, that values people and progress over profits and, and corporations, um, then you can get involved. You can read uh, Rivers 2019 slash sign hyphen up sign up um and you know i always say there's people can donate their time their talent or their treasure you know if time is not an option and your talent's not an option yeah throw us 20 bucks 25 bucks it's a people-driven campaign you know it doesn't need to be a huge donation but every small donation counts uh and gets us one step closer to our goal you know a 50 dollars donation is a day of facebook advertising right like a you know a hundred dollar donation is you know 400 mailers that we're going to send out so it's you know, it really does translate into direct action. It's not, I'm not paying you know, people, I'm not paying myself, it's all direct action. Um, and that's how these movements happen. I think that's the biggest challenge to creating a movement and creating a, sh a shift in direction in the politics and culture of a state or a nation is that it's gotta be done at the grassroots level. It doesn't happen from the top down, right? It's like Frederick Douglass talks about, power seeds nothing, it must be taken. Uh, you know, the great abolition abolitionist. And, you know, it's, it's the same concept. Like, they're not, we're, we're against, I'm running against an opponent who's been there for 18 years. He skipped a, a little less than a quarter of his votes last year. He just didn't show up, like his absentee. And, you know, but he still has a good chance to win, right? Because, like, he's got so much money and he's not going to give up and he's not going to step down. Um, and it's just, you know, it's time for new leadership. So, so donations help a lot as well. Um, just if, if you like what I'm saying, if you like my perspective of worldview, if you believe I'm here to do good, then, you know, skip a Starbucks coffee a couple of days a week and, and throw us a couple bucks. It, it really does help. I mean, that's just it. We have three weeks left in this campaign. I don't know exactly the date this will be published, but we're literally, okay, so we are literally, um, you know, I think three weeks and one day away from the election. So it's like crunch time. Like, this is it. Um, we have to win. Because I'm running a primary, this is our best opportunity to win. It's in the primary. It's, it's here. If we win the primary in New Jersey, we will win the election. The Democrats will win in where I live, no matter what. So now it's a battle of good, like which vision do we want to do? Um, I think my vision is the best, of course. Uh, so that's why I'm asking, you know, for, for money. And I think, yeah, I mentioned, I, think I, I mentioned it earlier, it's the worst part about it. But uh, like jujitsu, it's kind of like drilling. You know, you just do it anyway. It kind of sucks. It's not like that fun, you know, but you know, it's, it's, you're doing it because you want to get better. And you, you know, that's just it. I want to make good change. I can't do that with no money. It's just a fact. I can't, I can't get elected with no money. Um, the system sucks. One of my biggest priorities is, is changing that, right? As soon as I'm in, it's like the first bill I'm going to introduce is going to be an electoral transparency bill. But until I get there, that's kind of where we are. So that's the biggest way you can help out. Um, if you have talent, if you're you know, a great meme maker, graphic designer, and you want to spend a few hours just whipping together content to put out there, awesome. If you have time, volunteering. Volunteering is the best. Your time is the most valuable. Like If you want to call people, you want to knock on doors, we have people who um, you can call people like on the phone and we give you a script. We have people doing that remotely all over, like in New Jersey and outside of New Jersey. We have people volunteering for that. You can text people. We're going to start a texting plan over the next two weeks. Uh, it's pretty neat. You just log into the software. You just keep clicking this button. It's really simple. It's all automated. Um, or you can knock on doors. I love knocking on doors. Not everyone does, right? But I love it. You know, most people are pretty cool. You have some really interesting interactions and, and fun times. Um, but that's just it, man. It's a, it's a people-driven thing. So if you're listening to this and you, you're excited about, you know, my vision of the future, and probably I would say our vision, but many people share the vision I'm proposing, you know, it's not unique to me. Um, it's a vision of change. It's a vision of, you know, I say that as millennials, we're children of the internet, right? These barriers that our parents had never existed for us. We had friends across the country of all races, shapes, and creeds, you know, that we, before we knew what they looked like, we had been talking to them for years over video games or over IRC or over AOL, right? Like we had these bonds that we formed. And, and I think the generation now of children who are growing up with like 4G and soon to be 5G, I mean, it, it's just a changing world. Uh, so my, my central argument is we need to be proactive about change and not reactionary because reactionary will lead to crisis as it has in the past and as it will continue to do so. So I believe that a proactive approach is the best approach, which is why I'm running. Uh, and if you believe that and you can spare 20 bucks, it'd be cool for you to donate because again, that's how we win this. It's a people-driven campaign. We have a lot of donations. They're small donations, but we have a lot of them. Um, so everyone counts and everyone gets us close to our goal. Uh, and, and that's something that, you know, 
we would really appreciate if you could do it. So that's how you can get involved. Awesome. So they can donate directly on that website? Yeah, it's totally secure. It's, uh, again, rivers2019.com slash donate. It's a secure embedded form. It's got, you, know, you can see the little green lock in the left hand, upper left-hand corner of your web address. Um, and, yeah, that's just it. It takes all of, like, three minutes. Just throw in your credit card information, you're done. You know? Any, uh, any social media that they could find you on? Yes, thank you for asking. Facebook.com slash Rivers, the number four, Assem, A-S-S-E-M. And then Twitter and Instagram, it's both, it's Ron Rivers underscore. Uh, that's just the name. So just Ron Rivers and an underscore. Uh, or I think if you just type in Ron Rivers, it'll come up. But yeah, either way, follow us on social media. That's also huge. Hey, know this. If you have no money, you have no time, or you have no talent, just like our posts, right? Share our posts. That actually helps a lot. It really does. It, it boosts it in the algorithm. It gets more people to see it. So, you know, even if you just ad nauseum like everything we do, that, that's awesome. That's a huge help. We have a handful of people doing that now, and if we could double that, that'd be tremendous. That would really expand our reach over the next three weeks. So um, there's a million ways to help, a million things you can be a part of it. You know, this is really, while I am running, right, I'm just one individual. This is really a movement about us. It's about structuring society in a way that benefits the majority of people, not the select minority that are wealthy enough to be writing the laws and buying the politicians, right? And, and that's the question that we have at hand is, in many respects, we're fighting a class battle. And, and that's kind of where we have to be. So if we're not going to elect people that are going to champion the majority, uh, and we're only going to elect people that are going to champion the, the wealthy minority, then we have no hope, right? So my argument is that uh, this is about all of us. And why, you know, this is the easy part, right? Winning the election is the, the hardest thing we're doing, but I, I really believe it's going to be the easiest part because when we win, the hardest part is, is governing correctly and, and maintaining true to our, our moral compass, which I am 100% committed to doing. Um, and staying strong on our mission and on our purpose. So I really believe in it. Uh, and if you share that belief, you know, donating today would be a huge help, and I would really appreciate it. Awesome, man. So I, I know a lot of people that have known you for a long time. I've known you for a long time. And the one thing I can definitely vouch for is um, I, I'm a big believer in track records. And your track record for everybody that I know of that knows you has nothing but great things to say about you as a person, your character, your ethics. Nobody has any dirt or anything bad to say. You're always a good guy. You're always a hard worker. You're always helping other people. And I hope that people understand that and see that in and around New Jersey, that they have somebody like that in their corner. And I hope you do awesome, man. And uh, anything in closing that you want to say before we break? Well, first, Nick, thank you so much for having me on, man. This is a great time. And it was really cool catching up with you. I, I should have asked you more questions. I was actually really interested in <laughs> I like listening. <laughs> but uh, no, I had a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on. And thank you for those kind words. It's really humbling. And I, you know, it's kind of tough to say anything after that. You kind of said it better than I could. But I'll, I guess in, in the end, I'll just say, um, you know, to everyone listening, you know, no matter where you are, uh, just know that things can be better. You know, like if we, we don't have to accept the way things are. We don't have to set you. Know, we, are on a, we are on a very clear trajectory to crisis. The climate crisis is about a decade away from like, being un, unfixable. Um, something that no one ever talks about, but that really hurts me in my soul is we're experiencing the sixth mass extinction. Animal life is dying off at an unprecedented rate. And I think we're losing a huge part of ourselves in that, in that problem and in, in that cause. Um, wealth inequality is at the rate, highest it's ever been you know, in, in centuries. Um, we have real, real problems um, that, that have been caused by generations of wealthy people and corporations buying our political leadership um, we don't have too long to fix it. Uh, and my argument is that, you know, you don't have to be super involved in politics to know things are, are rough. Things are, you know, suck. You don't have to be too into politics to know that, you know, I, I always give the example, I've, I've been paying student loans. I've been paying $700 a month in my student loans. I've never missed a payment. I'm 35 now. And I still have student loans, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm able to pay them off now, fortunately, with the sale of my business, but, um, you know, that's the majority of the proceeds. So it's like, you know, we have a structure that has been systemically disadvantaging us for a long time. Um, we have opportunity. It's just a lack of, it's, it's, not, it's not willpower. It's a, it's a lack of imagination, right? Like that's what our leaders lack. They lack imagination and the will to do good for, for, for people. Um, so, you know, this fight is our fight together. Like you, there's a million ways you can get involved, whether it's with my campaign or other campaigns. But uh, I just encourage you, if you, you know, if you're, again, I'm 35, if you're my demographic, give or take, you know, five, 10 years, and you're concerned about having a family, you're concerned about your future. We have to be involved now. We can't just sit this one out. I think we've had too many generations of people, you're not getting involved, uh, and here we are. So I think that the, the challenges that lay ahead are going to be tough, 
Um, they're going to require a lot of community organizing and, and, and collaboration between you know, one another. Um, but we can do it, but we just have to be active. You know, even if it's just, again, a $20 donation, showing up for one volunteer session and walking around for an hour, making some calls. Um, we're in this together. You know, at the end of the day, no matter what happens, we, we accomplish it together. For, for better or worse, we'll be responsible for it. Um, so I'm, I'm you know, out here trying to be a part of the solution in a direction that I be, believe to be the most positive uh, and the most you know, beneficial to the maximum amount of people. Uh, and I hope I have your support in that. Uh, and I hope that you guys will you know, be a part of that in, in your own way. You don't necessarily need to do it my way, but let's, let's do good, right? I mean, we, we, we don't have too much time. So let's, let's do good for the world and, and come together on this. Very well said. I appreciate the time. It was awesome talking to you, man. And good luck. I'm sure you're going to do great. And I look forward to hearing your victory speech and having you back on after you win. Thanks so much, Nick. Have a great day. Have a great day. Bye-bye.